I was so excited as I anticipated preparing for this sermon because the journal that I read from last week, I haven't opened that up in almost 20 years. Well, I did last week, but I mean, but that was the first time in in almost 20 years that I had even looked at these words. And I was so excited because I had recorded, as you remember, the story of Joseph and Mary and the Annunciation and how Joseph struggled with all that was going on. And then as a continuation of that, when I was uh, when I was back in Bible college taking the, 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 the counseling, I had to he asked me to do one more session. So I I went ahead and wrote the continuing story of Mary and Joseph heading to Bethlehem as a result of the decree that we find in in, in Luke chapter 2. So I wanted to read to you because I was I was like I'm so excited I can't remember what I did. I can't remember what I said when I wrote this. So I want to I want to experience it again. This is so cool. So let me read to you as as I reflected. Well, It's been almost six months since Mary and Joseph and I began living together. And it's been fun to watch Mary as she has anticipated the birth of Jesus. That's the name that they plan to call him. A lot has happened in the world. Just yesterday, an announcement was made in the town square. All people are to return to their ancestral homes to be registered in the census. This is by order of Quirinius. We have little time to get there. And Mary is very pregnant. There's nothing we can do to fight it. We have to make the long journey to Bethlehem, the city of our forefather David. Joseph packs lightly. He loads the parcels onto the back of the donkey and then gently lifts Mary onto the donkey as well. And we're off. The roads are already crowded with people heading to their ancestral hometowns. What a mess. I have never seen so much activity and congestion on these roads. We finally made it to Bethlehem. Mary has been very uncomfortable for the last few days. She's been experiencing what she calls cramps. Well, we're in Bethlehem. So we're just going to check into a motel room and then Mary can get some rest in a warm feather bed. I can't believe it. We have tried nearly every hotel, motel, inn, and farmhouse. All the rooms are taken. There are people even setting up in small shelters in every square foot of the alleys in the town square. Joseph, Mary, and I are getting quite desperate. Mary feels that the baby may be coming, possibly even tonight. And Joseph and I agree that she's got to find shelter. We're heading to the last inn that might have a room. And when we get there, the innkeeper and his wife apologize profusely, but there just is no more room. I mean, they've even rented their own quarters and they're sleeping in the kitchen. Joseph, in desperation, explains that Mary is about to deliver her first child and he pleads with them. Finally, the innkeeper has an idea. It's not much, but it's all that's left. And he and his wife lead us to the animal barn in the rear of the inn's property. It is not much. (laughs) Actually, it's not much more than a cave with a small gate across the opening. But there is plenty of clean straw. And he allows us to live there until the census is completed. So 
The innkeeper, Joseph, and I quickly arrange the interior of the barn while the innkeeper's wife helps Mary prepare our belongings. We settle in quickly, and Joseph and Mary are in the interior of the barn, and I set up camp just inside the gate. I'm trying to allow Joseph and Mary as much privacy as possible. Later in the afternoon, early evening, the innkeeper comes out with our evening meal, and he again apologizes for making us eat out here. But he explains there, there just isn't any room anywhere inside his small inn. Joseph assures him that we actually prefer to stay out here. We have lots of privacy and, and really are quite comfortable. After dinner, I excuse myself and I go for a walk out in the countryside beyond the bright lights of Bethlehem. My reasoning is twofold. Number one, I really do want to get alone for a while and just relax. And number two, I want to give Joseph and Mary some time alone. I mean, they're exhausted they wanted to turn in early, so I just, I left. It only took about 10 to 15 minutes to get away from the lights of the town. Now I can see the beauty of the night sky. As I look up, I notice that there's, there's a star that's, that's shining brighter than any of the other ones in the sky. It almost glistens and sparkles like a diamond. As I continue my walk, I realize that my quote-unquote solitude is becoming quite crowded. Just as I come up a short hill, I realize up ahead is a campfire with people gathered around. These people are shepherds. As I widen my perspective, I can see the sheep scattered across the opposite hillside. Most have bedded down for the night. I announce myself before trying to approach the shepherds. They're diligently guarding against predators and they notice me immediately. But they welcome me into their circle. Oh, that fire is warmth. It feels great. I hadn't noticed how cool the night air had gotten until I got close to the fire. I introduced myself, and the man who was apparently the chief shepherd introduced himself as Nathaniel, and he asked me to join them for a snack as we sat, and, and so we ate and we drank and we talked. It was a very pleasant way to pass the time. <laughs> I realized that actually much time had passed. I mean, I thought I'd be gone only 10 or 15 minutes, but when I noticed how far the moon had traveled across the sky, I began to get up and thank my host when all of a sudden the sky exploded with a brilliant light. I mean, it was so bright. The countryside almost appeared as if it, as if it was midday. I stopped writing. That's the end. There's nothing else. I was ticked. <laughs> I don't know what happened. All I could do is go to the stupid scriptures and read what happened. But we know what happened. The angels appeared to the shepherds. And they said some pretty profound words. And one of the words that they said, um, I really am very disappointed that I didn't continue that. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> but it is what it is. And I, in the moments past, I doubt that I'll ever go back and try and finish it. But this is what the angel said to the, to the shepherds. Verse 10 of chapter 2 of the book of Luke. Fear not. Because they were probably pretty scared. I mean, we live out where there is the possibility that there's no lights around you. And it's dark and you can see the glorious sky with the Milky Way. And all of a sudden, whoa, 
the Shekinah glory of God brightens everything as if it's the middle of the daytime. And all of a sudden, this guy is standing there next to you. And he goes, hey, how he's going? What? What? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's okay. It's okay. I, I don't mean you any harm. It's okay. And he says, don't be afraid. Fear not. For behold, I got some really good news of great joy. It's, it's for all the people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel the multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. Literally the sky filled with angels. Praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. And then, boom. The heavens shut up again. Everything's dark. And they're just sitting there going, what happened? And then somebody, probably Nathaniel, says, well, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord made known to us. And then they went to the house and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, and it had been as it had been told to them. And verse 10 is the one that I got stuck on in this story. It is the joy Sunday. It says, Fear not, for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which is for all the people. And so I was like, what is, what is joy? I mean, I know joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It is when the Holy Spirit of God comes in, I, I have joy, maybe. Of course, I've known Christians who've said to me, Pastor, I've never experienced a day of joy in my life. Really? How can, how can you say that when you, you're a bona fide believer? Because isn't it a fruit of the Spirit? You're commanded in chapter 4, verse 4, I think it is, of Philippians, rejoice. I'll say it again, rejoice. Well, what do you think that word rejoice means? Take joy. Be joyful. So it's not just something that you, that you experience, it's something you choose to do. Because you can't command someone to do something that they can't do. If you go to Ezra, I mean, excuse me, Nehemiah, if you know that story at all, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. Let's turn there real quick. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. This is a, a point where they are after the Babylonian exile and they have come back to Jerusalem and they're, they're building up the wall and they're, they're doing all of these different things. And there's a, a reading of the book of the law. Okay, so I'm going to read verses 1. Yeah, where is it? All the way, I'll do it all the way through verse, verse 12. 1 through 12. And the people gathered as one person in the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard. 
on that very first day of the seventh month, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of all the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law, and Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they made for the purpose, and beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Maasiah, and on his right, and Pediah, and Mishael, and Mich- I forget all these names, um, on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book of the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and he opened it all the, and as he opened it all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Okay, so picture this. There's a square. All the people that have gathered are in the square. Anyone who is Jewish, who's come back from the Babylonian exile, anyone else who's in the town who can understand, they're all there for this big thing. A big platform has been set up with a bunch of people standing on it. Ezra comes up to the platform, sets the book of the law on the table, opens it up, and he says that... Uh, that he says that blessing, and Ezra bless the Lord, the great God, and then all the people out in the crowd, Amen, 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 and they raise their hands, and then they all fall to their ground and their faces on the ground, worshiping God. And then all of these men started helping the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. In other words, they read the law from morning till evening, and then people began to expound on it. What does it mean? What does it mean? And they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people could understand what was being read. They preached or they taught Bible study, whatever the case may be, and the people were being instructed in the word of God. Verse 9, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Sorry, Mariah. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine. In other words, celebrate. Go and celebrate and send portions to anyone who doesn't have the ability. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people and they said, be quiet. From this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to spend portions and to se- I mean, and to send portions to those who didn't have and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. The joy of the Lord is your strength. If you were asked by one of the children who were up here dancing earlier, What is joy? What would you say to them? Now, remember, you have to be able to say it in a way that a five-year-old or a six-year-old or an eight-year-old can understand. What is joy? What would you say? Huh? They were just giggling and having fun. 
Anybody else? What is joy? One of my favorite authors, he's dead and gone on to be with the Lord now, but um, his name is Henry Nouwen. And in a book that was published, and I don't know when the book was published, either before his death or after his death, but the book is titled The Heart of Henry Nouwen and His, uh, his Words of Blessing. It was probably published after his death. And here's a, the, a quote from his book. Joy is essential to spiritual life. Whatever we may think or say about God, when we are not joyful, our thoughts and our words cannot bear fruit. Jesus reveals to us God's love so that his joy may become ours. And that our joy may become complete. Joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved. And that nothing, sickness, Failure, emotional distress, oppression, war, even death. Nothing can take the love of God from you. Joy is not the same as happiness. We can be unhappy about many things, but joy can still be there. Because it comes from the knowledge of God's love for us. We are inclined to think that when we are sad, we cannot be glad. But in the life of a God-centered person, sorrow and joy can exist together. That isn't easy to understand. But when we think about some of our deepest life experiences, such as being present at the birth of a child or the death of a friend, great sorrow and great joy are often seen to be parts of the same experience. Often, we discover the joy in the midst of the sorrow. I remember the most painful times of my life as times in which I became aware of a spiritual reality much larger than myself, a reality that allowed me to live the pain with hope. I dare even to say my grief was a place where I found joy. Still, nothing happens automatically in the spiritual life. Joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy. And keep choosing joy every day. It is a choice based on the knowledge that we belong to God and have found favor, excuse me, and have found in God our refuge and our safety and that nothing, not even death, can take God away from us. For someone to say to me, Pastor, I'm a Christian, I've been a Christian my entire life, but I've never experienced a single day with joy. It says to me that that person has never truly come into a release to God of everything that's in their life. They're, for whatever reason, still holding on to whatever darkness, pain, sorrow, hurt, fear, whatever it is. They're not releasing it to God. And they're keeping almost as if it's a veil in front of their face that to keeping them from actually experiencing and seeing the truth that God loves them, that God desires them, that God has best in mind for them. And 
Again, it is something you take on. You know, I, I have seen so many times in my ministry where people through the tears have been able to say, but the joy of the Lord is my strength. If nothing else, if nothing else, I know that I still have God in my life. I know that he loves me. I know that I have a a home with him forever. Even though this is horrible, I can still stand in joy and I can choose to dance before him. And see, that's, that's, I think, the disconnect for my friend who says they've never lived a day with joy. They don't choose joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, believe me. I mean, God will impart to you joy. But you can stuff it down. You can refuse to receive it. And you saw in Nehemiah, they were commanded, knock it off. No weeping, no crying, not today. Today is dedicated to Him. You got a problem with that? Get up and dance. Choose joy. Exercise joy. Rejoice. I'll say it again. Rejoice. And if there's someone who can't join in the celebration because they're too poor, give them some of yours. Ooh, that's an interesting thought. He's talking about food and drinks, but what if you have joy and someone next to you doesn't? Give them some of yours. What an interesting concept. One last scripture and I want to close. It comes out of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, so that that can be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And these are the two verses I want you to take with you this week. Verse 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy is because of the great glad tidings that God so loved the world that he willingly gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It doesn't make any difference the circumstances you find yourself in. You can still experience joy 
And you can still choose joy. That's in your power. It's how you choose to do it. Now, I'm not trying to put anybody on a guilt trip. Because believe me, 2010 was the year of the bare Christmas tree in Bob's home. I had an absolutely horrible, horrible year. I had seven or eight people that I cared about die on me that year. And by Christmas time, our home, which is normally wildly decorated for Christmas, had a bare Christmas tree. And Renee turned to me that year on December 24th and she said, are we not going to decorate the tree? And I looked at her and I, I, with tears in my eyes, I said, honey, I just can't. I don't ha- I'm not opposed to you doing it. I'm not opposed to Kelly doing it. But I can't. I don't have it in me. So I understand. You may be facing something that is just beyond your ability to endure. It is more than you can deal with. But I am telling you. I am telling you. Joy is a choice. It is something you choose for yourself. And I would also give you the little bit of oomph in saying, if you don't feel it, let your feet start dancing anyway. Because eventually you'll join in. You saw the kids this morning. Some of them did it reluctantly. They didn't want to do it. They're embarrassed. But by the end, they're giggling and laughing and just having a grand time. And I would say the same would be for you. Take the veil away, the darkness, the pain, the angst, the frustration, and enter into the joy of the Lord. Intentionally. Choose it. Rejoice. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let's pray.